Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Restoring the Faith. Mike here, alone in studio today, but I will be joined by a very special guest dialing in via Skype. We have to note that few figures in the Catholic Church today are more enigmatic than Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, who very famously released an 11-page dossier back in 2018, just one year after his retirement, in which he single-handedly brought down one of the most powerful prelates in the history of the Catholic Church in the United States, Theodore McCarrick. There's been a lot of vegamania lately, and in fact, I did a video where all I did was ask some questions about, hey, is he in hiding or is he not in hiding? Is, who is he hiding from? He seems to be available for interviews. I took a lot of heat for that. And I was very interested when the, uh, today we're going to have Michael Warren Davis on. Here's a picture of him. This is not actually him. But he's here. He's waiting. He's in the wings. Editor of Crisis Magazine. He's writing a book, I understand. Uh, he also writes regularly for the American Conservative. Uh, here we go. Uh, actually, before I bring him in, he wrote this article here. It's called Be Careful About Lionizing Vigano. This is the first serious traditional Catholic in media that I'm aware of who actually is saying, hey, guys, let's pump the brakes a little bit. So I wanted to bring him on and interview him. As you can see, we're just scrolling through this top part of the article here. He opens the article by saying, I was in a dust-up in 2018 on Twitter defending Vigano that was so bad, I ended up having to delete my account for a time. Thanks for joining us, Michael Warren Davis, editor of Crisis Magazine. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm always good, especially when I'm on Restoring the Faith Media. <laughs> well, I haven't seen you in a while, and um, I'm glad to have you on. I, uh, I'm going to fix, I'm cutting off the half of your head right now. So I got to fix that. Uh, that here way. we go. You are, but we're going to, we're going to fix you. Don't you worry out there. This is the, this is the uh, trouble with doing it live, but you are here. You're on uh, RTF. You know, it's been so like a year since you were on back when uh, Joseph was around, we were at like 2000 subscribers. The microphone's a little bit bigger these days. <laughs> yeah. You guys have exploded. Congratulations. That's well, thank uh, you. Well, and, well deserved. And, and likewise to you, editor of Crisis Magazine. Can you give us a sense of how big Crisis Mag is right now, just in terms of viewership and readership for those who are, may not be familiar? Yeah, sure. So we, I mean, we get, I think, something like 3 million unique page views a month. 
Um, so we we do very very well. Um, we're, we're, we've 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 easily broken into like the top tier of Catholic media, despite only publishing two articles a day. I think that's the advantage because we don't we don't publish a lot of fluff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're doing we're doing very well. Our message is getting out there, and uh, our the owners, you know, Sophia Institute Press, they do a really terrific job as, um, you know, keeping us on the pulse of current events, and uh, and so you know, crisis has always been you know, one of the leading sources for Catholic commentary on on current events and and culture and news and politics and religion, um, and it's getting stronger and stronger. So uh, we're very we're also very proud of what we've we've accomplished in the last couple of years. Well, congratulations. Uh, so you, you wrote this article, and I immediately reached out to you. I was actually driving down the road. I was in Florida, and uh, somebody texted me your article, and I saw the headline, and I said, oh, my gosh, I almost crashed the car. Yeah, I remember I, being really concerned when I saw your email saying that you were driving. <laughs> yeah, right. I said, <laughs> it was very brief. And I said, hey, you've got to come on and defend this article uh, because as far as I know, and, and I think you heard my intro you're the only uh, serious journalist uh, on on the right within Tradville to to at least just say, hey guys, we maybe maybe the I, I've been calling it the cultus around Archbishop Vigano, uh, which it's nice that, to be flattered. It's nice <laughs> that we have an archbishop saying what we want him to say, saying all the traditional things, defending us, pro Trump, pro America, all these things, but. Your question that you asked in the article, and I have a couple screenshots from your article that I want to pull up and ask you about, but your, your main thesis is just, hey, hey, let's just have some critical thought about this. Yeah, right? if that's even the thesis. Uh, you know, it's, uh, so I, this is the second article that I wrote on this issue. The first one was my summary of the McCarrick Report. Um, and, and, I, and in that, I mentioned the, the, initial, the allegations that the Vatican made about Archbishop Vigano. And I, I didn't, and I still don't take sides. I don't know what the truth is. But in that first article, I just said, you know, these, are, these allegations are unusual because they're very specific um, in the sense that they—, they it would be very easy for Archbishop Vigano to come out and say, A, they're not true, they're, they're, the Vatican just made them up, or, you know, B, actually it's true, I, I, I was derelict in my duty. We can get into the details afterwards. But uh, all, I, all I said was I hope that he, he answers these allegations substantially one way or the other. And, I, you know, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but, you know, uh, so Father Z, uh, Father John Zulsdorf, uh, he, he wrote about the article on the blog, he praised it on his blog. And uh, and he praised it. And then um, this second article that we're talking about that was at the American Conservative, um, Henry Sire, the author of The Dictator Pope, I saw tweeted it out a couple of times on his on his Twitter feed. So it's not just me and it's not just us. There there's a, there are a number of, of traditional Catholics who are, who are having the same concerns, asking the same questions. And as I always say, whenever it comes to sex abuse and I make I ask questions like this. I, I raise possibilities like this. I'm much happier to be proven wrong than right. I would. I, I hope that Archbishop Vigano comes out and and explains, uh, you know, w- w- where the McCarrick report went wrong, what where where they lied, where they deceived. Um, but you know, so far we can go into that too. But so far it hasn't happened. Well, okay. Uh, let me let me ask a clarifying question though, because. Isn't it true that, that so many people on, in their minds are going to say, look, the McCarrick Report is fiction. I trust nothing coming from Rome. They have every incentive to lie. How can you take anything seriously from the McCarrick Report? You, you can't necessarily. And I'm very sympathetic to that view. And, uh, and, and people who, who are 
inherently skeptical of anything that the Vatican puts out. Unfortunately, they're right. Um, there, there's absolutely no reason to take this at face value. But uh, as I said, the, 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 the interesting thing here is that the allegations were very specific. And uh, so I may as well go into it now. So um, in, the, in the McCarrick report, the Vatican says that um, there, there was a, the, the first credible witness who went on the record to say that he was sexually assaulted by then Cardinal McCarrick was a, an, an anonymous priest um, who the report names as Priest Three, mm-hmm. and uh, the the report says that uh, the 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 Congregation for Bishops, which was then led by um, Cardinal Marcolet, um, asked Archbishop Vigano, as the papal nuncio in the United States, to uh, speak to Priest Three and to the uh, the the vicar for priests and the canonical vicar or the uh, vicar general rather of the diocese of Petuchin, which is you know the the the, the diocese that McCarrick led the pre the rather the diocese in which that priest was incarnated uh, and at which the diocese which uh mccarrick led you know when the when the assault happened so basically mccarrick was the bishop of matuchin um when he attacked this priest who was a priest of the diocese of matuchin that's a very roundabout way of saying something very simple but uh so that was so that was the accusation um so again, very it would be very easy for Vigano to have come out and said, you know, they never asked me to interview Priest Three. That's not true. It's categorically false. They lied. Mm-hmm. Or I did interview P- Priest Three, and I sent the report to the Vatican, and nothing happened. You know, there there are all kinds of things that might have happened. But uh, in his first reply to the McCarrick report, what Archbishop Vigano didn't say any of those things. Mm-hmm. What he said was that he he spoke to Bishop Butskowski of Matuchin, who took over the diocese from McCarrick and was a McCarrick protege. Um, and he when he he asked Bishop Butskowski, um, you know, are there a, this is this is what Vigano says. He asked him about this civil suit that the diocese was involved in. And uh, he says that Butkowski said uh, he characterized the accusations of Priest Three as false and slanderous. Uh, and then apparently he just moved on. So the, the question that that obviously raises is why didn't Vigan, Archbishop Vigano, uh, you know, why did he take Butkowski at his word? Um, why did he take the, the, the word of a McCarrick protege on the, you know, on the issue of whether or not McCarrick uh, is a sexual predator? Why didn't mm-hmm. he seek out Priest Three? Why didn't he interview those diocesan officials? Uh, and this is again, really the heart of your article, too. And, and um, I, I, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I, I'm pulling out your four-point um, sort of syllogism that, that relates to that. And I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Um, and 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 if you don't mind, I, I think I might even read it uh, sure. to uh, some of it aloud, so that people can get a sense of exactly what you're talking about. Because all you're doing is asking critical questions here. This is not. This is not, you're not trying to like you're not trying to impugn the character of His Excellency, and neither am I. But here's what it says: "Quote in the report, I am accused of not having followed up on the request for information regarding the accusations made by Priest Three. And then you say, well, yes or no, Vigano was specifically accused of not having contacted Priest 3, his vicar general, and his vicar for priests. That's a crucial distinction. Point number two, quote, I informed uh, Ule that the civil case of Priest 3 had been dismissed without the possibility of appeal. And then you say, again, his task wasn't to report on the results of a civil suit. This is the reason he was tasked with launching a brand new investigation. The Vatican had heard plenty of rumors about McCarrick, 
What they lacked was evidence and witnesses. Point three, Bishop Bootskoski, as you said, characterized uh, the accusations of priest three as false and slanderous, as well as he might, as you say. He is a McCarrick protege. Of course he's going to deny it, right? Why on earth would Vigano take him at his word? And then here's the, here's the clincher, number four. Quote, those who accuse me of not having sent a written communication to Bishop Bootskoski, the ordinary of priest three, and the Bishop of Metuchen, know very well that this depends on the precise directions of the Secretariat of State. And here's what you say. But that's not what anyone is saying. We're wondering why Vigano didn't speak to priest three, his vicar general and his vicar for priests, as the Vatican ordered him to do. Hence, the Mercaric report claims Vigano still had not taken any further steps to ascertain the truth of the most recent allegation against McCarrick, which had been made by priest three in 2012 and therefore did not provide the secretary of state. Now I want to take, I want to, I want to play devil's advocate here uh, Mm -hmm. if I could, and I've still got this up on the screen so people can read it while we're talking. Sure. Um, When the morning that the McCarrick report dropped, the AP released an article and the, the, the AP zeroed in on priest number three. And they said, this is the failure of Archbishop Vigano, the AP. Mm-hmm. Now, I read that and I just thought to myself, there's no way that some secular reporter at the AP is going to zero in on priest number three from 450 pages of material with thousands of footnotes unless he is being fed, hand-spooned this information, and this is specifically to discredit His Excellency Archbishop Vigano. What do you think about that? Well, it very well could be, but if the if the, if those allegations are true, um, then it would be it would behoove the Vatican to to sort of spoon feed those lines to to any journalist who's willing to do their bidding. Um, I think that that was the that was the great threat here was that you know, in, so in his second reply, which was longer and more uh, but less substantial, mm-hmm. um, Archbishop Vigano says that the the. The Vatican is blaming me because they don't want to talk about the problem of, uh, you know, the the per, the pervasive presence of active homosexual priests in the Catholic priesthood, uh, especially in the Episcopal hierarchy. And that's true. The thing is, that's perfectly true. And you know, whether or whoever the point man is, so to speak, matters less than the fact that you know McCarrick was um, was not an isolated incident, and he he's not even particularly unusual as a, as an active homosexual in the Catholic priesthood. That absolutely is the more fundamental issue. But at the same time, you know, you can hide. You, you, we can hide guilt behind um, larger truths. Um, and if, in, in the same way, the Vatican might have easily sort of uh, dodged the blame mm-hmm. by uh, by finding a, a, a real instance of um, Archbishop Vigano's culpability and uh, and zeroing in on that. But the the easiest you know the easiest misdirection is the one that's is the one that's based in truth. And mm-hmm. uh, to date, Archbishop Vigano has not substantially rebutted those claims. Okay, well let's 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 presume that you're right. Um for a moment and just follow the logic of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that uh, in con- in the course of being the papal nuncio to the United States, the chief diplomat here, the ambassador, mm-hmm. he's got a lot on his plate. He's doing a ton of things, including investigating McCarrick. And let's say he just maybe no one's perfect. 
he reached out. He trusted this bishop. Um, he didn't. He didn't talk to priest number three directly. Is that really a, ba- a huge black eye on um, the report or the good that he's done or the eleven-page dossier or t- or revealing uh, the truth, et cetera? Well, th- that's the interesting thing. In in a sense, it's not. Um, I I did believe Archbishop Vigano's testimony when he published it in 2018, and I still do. I still believe that the allegations that he makes are substantially true. I I um, I think that he's right that McCarrick used his influence in the Vatican to appoint bishops that he knew would help to protect him from um, any investigations. That's absolutely absolutely plausible, almost likely. But uh, in, in an, on another sense, um, you know, it, Archbishop Vigano was not the whistleblower. Um, he wasn't the one that brought these claims to light initially. Um, it was the New York Times. The New York Times published this article about uh, from by a, a man who alleged to have been abused by Vigano when, um, or rather by excuse me, by McCarrick when uh, when he the, the victim was uh, a, a young boy and a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Vatican almost immediately laicized Cardinal McCarrick. They didn't even let him appear at his own canonical trial. Um, it was only afterwards that Archbishop Vigano came out and said, mm-hmm. "Yes, I knew about this all along, and I told the Vatican." Um, now, what seems to me most likely in this scenario, again, if there is a thesis, um, one of the, the most likely scenario in all of this is that um, Vigano was, again, was the was the Vatican's point man on this investigation. He was told when when the fir- very first credible witness came forward, priest mm-hmm. three, when he came forward, the Vatican asked him to investigate uh, the 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 allegations, not not in a, not according to the, the the sort of the standards of evidence of a civil tribunal, but by the Vatican's much, we would say, looser standards. Um, the Vatican can lay aside a priest on less hard evidence than a civil court can convict someone of, of any crime. So uh, this was, this was uh, you know, this was Vigano's duty. It was to begin a new investigation um, with the, the church's own standards of guilt or innocence. And this was, in, again, this was in 2012. So it, it it shows two things, I think. One of them, it, one thing that it, it seems to show is that Pope Benedict, um, who is widely accused now of having been basically indifferent to Cardinal McCarrick, did his Vatican actually did try to get to the bottom of the the truth of the or, or the untruth of the allegations that McCarrick that were made against McCarrick. Because as I said in some of the other articles. One of the uh, McCarrick was, as we all know now, he was a devious, devious genius, and he would, uh, he would, when when, uh, when p- bishops were circulating letters amongst themselves saying that you know th- this guy McCarrick is is uh, going to cause a huge sex abuse scandal in the church, much like the one that broke in two thousand and two, uh, but from the Boston Globe. Um, he would write to the Vatican and he would say, I'm going to contact the police and the FBI. He, goes, he talks about my friends or our friends in the FBI and local law enforcement, and I'm going to find out who did this and, and you know, sort of suggest that he's going to sue them for – um, you know, for slander or something to that effect. So he was, uh, he had all of, he knew his his rights, so to speak. He knew that uh, he had legal recourse if uh, if these, you know, slanderous allegations continue to circulate, despite the fact that they happen to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what the Vatican needed, again, was some hard evidence, not, not as hard as the civil tribunal would need, but they needed some hard evidence. This was, according to the McCarrick Report, Vigano's job. And 
if he didn't follow through, that it means that a Pope Benedict, uh, you know, his Vatican couldn't move forward with a canonical trial, um, despite having, but, but the fact remains that they did actually try and B, it means that Pope Francis inherited a, a dossier on McCarrick that said that there are these widespread rumors, but our nuncio in Washington investigated them and couldn't do anything about it. They could, he could find no hard evidence of, of any misconduct. That certainly doesn't exonerate anyone in the Vatican. Um, but it certainly means that Archbishop Vigano, by not doing his job, made everyone else's job a lot harder, perhaps even impossible. And that's, for, again, for those who really care about the reform of the church and at least, you know, the, the truth of how, of how Cardinal McCarrick managed to stay in power for so long, that certainly matters. Well, I remember just reading the, uh, some of the quotations from priest number three specifically. And he said, you know, I came to the United States— and what I to become a to to be a priest, and I believe that he, he's Brazilian, is that I think. I think so. Uh, uh, so he came to the United States, and he said, "I wanted to be a priest, and what I found there was a predator who took advantage of me, and nobody listened, and nobody cared." I mean, it's really it's heart wrenching stuff, and um, you know, to some degree, of course, the Vatican is going to dramatize it and and put it out there and pull the heartstrings and mm-hmm. and 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 try to say that we couldn't move forward, and you know, uh, because we were we were hobbled by, uh, you know, we there's there's lack of evidentiary um, proof for us to do anything, and our top guy in the United States isn't isn't delivering the goods. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you say, Michael Warren Davis, editor of Crisis Magazine, to the skeptical trad? And I say the skeptical trad, somebody who's look, who looks at the Vatican and says, listen, you're the people of the Pachamama. You're the people of who am I to judge? You're the people of uh, same-sex unions are okay. And anytime the Pope Francis gets on an airplane, you know, maybe it's a lack of oxygen to the brain, but he says something incredibly ridiculous. Mm. Uh, and... and um, <laughs> I don't care what you say in the McCarrick report. I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you know, um, as I say in the article, as a journalist, I I believe it's my professional duty not to trust anyone, and uh, and that certainly goes for the Vatican. And you know, it, though unfortunately, those of us who do want the truth uh, about things that involve sex abuse or anything to do with Vatican corruption. We can't trust the official sources. We have to. We have to interrogate, uh, the, you know, these narratives because narratives are the enemy of truth. Um, it, when you when you start to weave these narratives, you find evidence that that supports your claims, or and throw away evidence that does not support your claims, and that's the problem with those. Who, as we know, who uh, who do believe everything that comes out of the Vatican, they're they're the ones that want to hang the entire McCarrick affair on Archbishop Vigano's shoulders, and that's wrong. It's wrong. It's it's wrong for you know. It's it's unjust towards the man himself, uh, and it's disingenuous for the cause of reform in the Church. Uh, but as I said in my previous article, uh, Archbishop Vigano presents himself as a man who is committed to this kind of reform. And he, more than anyone, should understand that absolutely no bishop, especially any bishop that was in power in the United Mm -hmm. States or in the Vatican or both Mm -hmm. during the McCarrick incident and had anything to do with handling the evidence related to Cardinal McCarrick can be above scrutiny. Not above accusation, but above scrutiny. And the only thing that I ask my readers to do is to hold Archbishop Vigano to to a standard of 
uh, of of scrutiny at, at least half as much as we would hold the Vatican. You know what I mean? Right, just to, right, right. Well, so I, I took a lot of heat when all I, I just asked a, a couple uh, logical questions of, you know, like, for example, His Excellency says that he's in hiding for his life. It may be the Lavender Mafia that's going to get him. It may be the, the actual Vatican. It may be some, some uh, combination thereof, since we know that the Lavenders have uh, infiltrated all the way to the top. So um, will they use any and all tools available to them? Uh, in theory, they would. Do some of those tools include statecraft and, and, and the powers of, of the Vatican City State? Of course they do. Um, I took a lot of heat just for asking that question. I want to quote a couple of things from your article. You say, quote, it would certainly be embarrassing to many in the traditional movement. I don't use the phrase rock star lightly. Many traditionalists have made the archbishop's testimony the cornerstone of their campaign against Pope Francis. I'm going to pull up a screen here. I, I call this uh, Vigamania. This is one of the slides I used in my first uh, video about Archbishop Vigano. Literally everybody, what you're seeing here, Everybody from Michael Matt, from Steve Skojak, from Taylor Marshall, everybody has been talking about Archbishop Vigano. Everybody has been uh, has been repeating and parroting exactly what he says verbatim, as you said. And my only point uh, when when I made the video, and then I, I can see it coming through in your articles as well, is we have to we have to maintain some kind of arm's length uh, distance in order to ascertain whether or not. Uh, Archbishop Vigano is indeed one of us. As you point out in your article, we tried that with John Paul II. Uh, we tried getting close. Uh, and you also say that Archbishop Vigano didn't even celebrate the Latin Mass before he became a trad rock star. He was on board with the U.S. bishop's ridiculous social justice agenda, including the open borders agenda. Um, this is what you write. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, narratives are the enemy of truth. And uh, this this narrative that we've built around Archbishop Vigano, um, deserve it or not, it's it obviously is clouding some people's judgment. Um, like I said, I, I don't have any firm convictions one way or the other about the, the guilt or the innocence of Archbishop Vigano. The only thing that we have to go off of besides the McCarrick report is the responses from Archbishop Vigano himself uh, and from the people that are close to him. Um, I, when I tried to put these questions to Archbishop Vigano, I reached out to one of his intermediaries, uh, and I got this very angry email in return saying, you know, um, Archbishop Vigano was not the sex abuse czar, you know, which is, uh, which is ridiculous. Cause again, it's, 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 a vo no one said that he had to be the sex abuse czar. I was asking very specifically about the investigation regarding priest three. Um, I, I, after I wrote the second article that we're talking about now for the American conservative, um, one of, one of Archbishop Vigano's intermediaries accidentally, uh, sent an email to me that was meant for the Archbishop, um, saying, you know, I'm a, that I, Michael Davis, am a fake trad and that I can't be trusted. He strongly su suggested that I was working for the Vatican, uh, which is just ridiculous. I don't make enough money for to be a Vatican spy. But the uh, and then of course there's the two responses that Archbishop Vigano himself put out. So if if everyone had just kept quiet, you know this 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 matter would have gone probably just gone away. We would only have the strange allegations made by the Vatican. But it's again it's the it's the attempt to um, to answer the the to, to, to 
the non-answers that we get as a reply to these questions and then the, the, the campaign of sort of obfuscation and hiding the truth that, uh, that, are, that is being done by sort of Vigano's inner circle that I think has to give us reason to pause and to continue to ask these questions because if, uh, if people who are close to the archbishop are, mm-hmm. are hiding the truth for the sake of protecting their own interests or because they're afraid that it will, it will hurt their own credibility because you know they jumped on the Vigano bandwagon too soon and, and, and have, you know, have made too much of their personal brand interconnected mm-hmm. with his personal brand, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's serious. That's something that we, that we, uh, that we have to interrogate. Yeah, that's certainly a potential conflict of interest. I want to bring in a comment from the live stream um, and get your reaction to it. Mm. Nick Monk writes, there seem to be a lot of young people in the traditionalist movement who are looking for a leader. Mm. I certainly don't blame them and have fallen uncritically behind Dr. Marshall and Archbishop Viganò. Um, my question is, don't you think that there is a lot of truth to that? You, you write in your article... Um, traditional Catholicism is undergoing a renaissance. Membership at parishes that offer the traditional Latin Mass are exploding. They are. Catholic seminaries are full of Orthodox young men eager to celebrate the TLM. Um, and, and it is true for those who are brand new to the movement. Michael Warren Davis, editor of Crisis Magazine, who didn't live through uh, some, of the war, some of the trad wars of, of the past generation and who still haven't really felt in their gut the betrayal uh, by John Paul II and others. Uh, Can you blame them for making the mistake of uncritically just jumping on a bandwagon and saying, this guy is our leader? Well, I mean, again, I don't want to... I don't want to draw any conclusions about Archbishop Viganos. I, I, I want to answer the question, but I don't, I don't want to say that I, I believe that he's guilty. I just, I guess the only thing that I can say is I, I don't see him proving that he's not. Um, and I, I like Taylor Marshall. I like Steve Skojak. I like Michael Mann. I like all of those people that you mentioned. They do good work. They fight for the faith. They fight for the tradition. Um, you know, and they're putting their, their you know, they're, they're very far out of favor with a lot of the institutional church because they, they ask these kinds of difficult questions. Um, obviously, I would, I, I, it would be nice if they would, you know, sort of lend their support to those of us who are, who are sort of questioning the Vigano narrative. But it, it's uh, I don't I don't mean to I don't want to discredit them certainly and they shouldn't be discredited, um, but at the at the same time I mean uh, I my my rule of thumb is you know journalists are journalists we're not here to be thought leaders in the church that's not our job um, the, the, the Pope Leo the Thirteenth wrote a really terrific encyclical uh, where he talks about the role of Catholic media um, it's to uphold the truth and to defend the liberties of the church um, and that's that's our job. Um, we're not here. We're not theologians. We're not, you know, we're not, we're, we're just journalists. Um, so I always when, look to the example of holy bishops who are our leaders, um, like people like Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Sarah. Um, if you want a real leader, someone that you can, that you can trust, hopefully it will be some, it will be the clergy. Um, alternatively, you know, I, I'm a member of a fraternity parish, a, a parish of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. Um, I have, we have three terrific, terrific priests. I trust them implicitly and I, they'll, I'm certain they'll never give me a reason not to. 
Um, but you know, it's it's kind of those real world leaders, not the not necessarily the the, the talking heads like me on the internet. Um, you know, don't we're not you know we're not the generals here. We're we're laymen. We're foot soldiers like everyone else. There are good holy priests that we can look to for leadership in times like this, uh, and that's the way that Christ organized his church. It's a hierarchy. It's a monarchy. It's not a it's not a democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we the the priests are above us categorically by their nature. You know. Um, and so that that's the, that's the advice that I give, and uh, and yeah, it it is. Uh, maybe I'll go off the reservation a little bit here, but I mean, if you look at people like Cardinal Sarah and Cardinal Burke, they're very very careful with their words. You know, they're getting a lot done behind the scenes, and as much as you see getting done, I you know by the nature of my profession, I have a lot of contacts in the Vatican and in the U.S. hierarchy. They are doing work that we we're not even we we can't even begin to be aware of. Right. Uh, and and they're you know and and they don't you know it's it's good to have the support of the laity, um, but you know we have these really good holy men on the inside that we can pray for that we can support, and uh, and I I really think that that's the thing to do. Of course, Catholic media is here to keep you informed, um, to uh, you know to to hold the bad guys accountable, and we're going to keep doing that. Um, but you know it's but this is we are you know as Cardinal Sarah always says you know traditionalists can't live in this traditionalist ghetto. We, you know, we're part of the wider church. We have to be witnessing Christ out in the world, and mm. uh, and so it's it's not enough to just to be to say, you know, we need traditionalist leaders for the traditionalist movement. You know, we're Catholics. We need good Catholic leaders to lead the Catholic Church, uh, and 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 the traditionalist movement is producing some really terrific ones. Again, Cardinal Sarah and Burke, um, but it's uh, but you know, the, it's we're not a political party. We're not a faction. Um, we're mm-hmm. we're a, we're a movement for the the revitalization of the church and to reground her uh, in her sacred traditions and uh, and you know it's uh, we we need to be very very particular about the about the people that we look to as uh, as our, our our guideposts our leading lights in that. Mm-hmm. I I uh, I'll just relay a quick story to you. Um, I recently had an opportunity to have some. Uh, private t- uh, meeting with uh, with a red hat in the church, current Ooh. active duty. And I asked him about Archbishop Viganò, And his response was immediate, uh, and it was sharp. And he said, he, he comments on everything, and it dilutes his message, and he needs to be quiet. Mm. And that's similar to what you just said. I mean, you've, you've got, when you, yeah. when, you, when you talk about how uh, discreet some of the other uh, uh, allies, I would say, are and have been. They're not commenting every other week, every other day. You know, no. releasing V drops. I call them V drops. Um, <laughs> you know about 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 the election and the fraud and all that stuff. It's like you know, it doesn't. It isn't it true that it kind of does dilute the message? Yeah. Well, that's the trouble here. And again, I mean, I. I hope it goes without saying. I don't want to be the leader of the traditionalist movement. I don't, uh, you know, if even if, if if the leaders of the if the quote unquote leaders of the traditionalist movement want to say that I'm not a real trad, I couldn't care less. I'm a journalist. That's again, that's my only. And I, I want to pose these difficult questions and and help the the holy bishops that are you know at, have to be the head of the reform. The you know the the clergy always has to be the leader of anything to do with the church. 
Um, I want to be there to support them. The trouble again is when you have um, when you have guys on the outside, laymen, who are trying to sort of be kingmakers or to steer opinion within the church, and they don't have all the information. They're not, you know, right. they're not in the high, they don't know what people like Sarah and uh, and Burke know. And right. by the way, I know that both of them appreciate a lot of what Catholic media does. They're not they're not clericalists by any means, um, but they're all. But as, as you know, um, as you just explained, the, all of these guys will always say the same thing. We need discretion. Discretion is absolutely key when it comes to stuff like this. And um, and when you're when you sort of when you're like me, a journalist like you, um, and you're engaged in this 24-hour news cycle, um, you can jump to some dangerous conclusions that you know you don't necessarily have all the facts to support. And so you wind up in situations like this, where because you've sort of set yourself up as this um, this kind of kingmaker, this this figurehead, this leader, um, you have to you 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 can't be concerned with truth the way that a journalist should be you have to be concerned with narratives and preserving narratives and uh and, and again if it's impossible even to countenance the possibility that archbishop figano will uh will would be would, wouldn't be who he appears to be and again i'm not talking about taylor marshall I, I they have as far as i know he has they haven't weighed in on this one way or the other um but those intermediaries that i spoke to it seemed to me that they, again, were not were not people that were actually concerned with the truth the way that journalists should be. They were people that were concerned with protecting their own influence, mm-hmm. uh, and that is not traditional. That's not Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. We're not Lutherans. You know, we don't believe in a church led by laymen. We're not. You know, we're, we believe in a church that exists in in, in a natural hierarchy, um, and the bishops, the priests are above uh, the laymen. The bishops are above the priests, and so on. Um, and so this, it's funny that this, if the, um, you know, the kind of the, the dark side of the traditionalist movement is this kind of quasi congregationalist, uh, mentality where we, you know, it's the, the laity against the clergy and we're, you know, we're, we're battling against the institutional church. That's obviously true to an extent, but we have generals, we have good bishops that are fighting against the bad bishops, just as we have good laymen that are fighting against bad laymen. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I hope that that's what, that's what comes through is uh, is not that you know, I you and I are not revolutionaries trying to overthrow the leaders of trad media. That's absolutely not the case. I I, I know you well enough to say that. Yeah. Um, the goal is to defend the truth and the liberties of Holy Mother Church because we're journalists. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. What can we talk about the reaction to your um, to your opinions here? Because I'm sure that. Uh, People have come out of the woodwork to criticize you, call you names. Um, how how bad has it been? The worst feedback I got was uh, a very supportive tweet from Austin Ivory, who was very happy with my article, and that was that gutted me. <laughs> uh, and that was I was like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't have written this. Um, no, I mean, it, it, I haven't gotten much negative feedback. This is again, this is. I got the um, the private message from one of Archbishop Vigano's intermediaries, and then I got the 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 leaked email from another one of his intermediaries. But those were all done in secret. I don't think anyone has come out publicly to say that I'm wrong or to to sort of excommunicate me. Uh-huh. I think this is because, again, I mean, I think that they know deep down that not that Archbishop Vigano can't answer the questions. But that they can't answer the questions, and that Archbishop Vigano hasn't answered the questions, um, that there hasn't been a satisfactory conclusion where Archbishop Vigano is totally exonerated—at mm-hmm. least nothing that we've seen publicly. So, and your uh, point, your your overall point is just that we, 
we should just acknowledge the fact that there are questions that have not been answered and we shouldn't just wish that fact away or pretend not to care about it just because we like the guy and you know he 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 opposes the new world order like we do so you know it's all water under the bridge yeah it is and again it is tempting to say that because in the grand scheme of things archbishop vigano is is fairly small i mean he's he's got a big presence he's got a big personality mm-hmm. um but it, it, any the the Vatican's claim or the, the, the people that are sort of around the Vatican, people like Austin Ivory, who want to say that if it wasn't for Vigano or if Vigano hadn't been derelict in his duty, none of this would have happened. That's totally wrong. And if and if anyone thinks that um, you and I are supporting that, we're, we're trying to you know put everything on Archbishop Vigano, mm-hmm. um, that's that's just absolutely false. Um, but it, it's it, but it's you know even if even if Vigano isn't the sort of the axis on which all of this turns, uh, it's still important to know uh, you know what measures the Vatican took. It's certainly important to know whether or not this person who has become you know all, all the progressives call him you know the traditionalist anti-pope. You know he's the he's the the leader of the of the trad's new hierarchy. Um, and that's, I mean, that's going way too far, obviously. But I mean, to it, he has become not only a, uh, not only a whistleblower, but a, a sort of a theological, moral, and political authority to a lot of trads. And uh, and if that's built on a house of sand, if he was just a uh, a, a sort of a, a, an old school Italian Vatican diplomat who realized that he had he was complicit in this investig in this uh, in this cover-up basically um and so he went from being you know a pro-immigration novus ordo priest to a sort of a a, you know traditionalist trump booster um in order to to gather around himself a a group of of loyal traditionalists who would uh who would uh, protect him against these allegations when the truth finally came out which it may or may not have um that that's worth knowing it's worth knowing the caliber the moral caliber of the bishops that we choose as our leaders Mm-hmm. Uh, question from the chat you had said look that we've got generals we've got good trustworthy generals and, and they're inside the church they're on active duty they're doing good things that you and I don't even know about they are privy to information that we are not privy to we need to have faith in them um, this question I think was sort of asked tongue in cheek who are these so called good bishops in the church um, and I don't disagree with the sentiment Michael I mean, what, asked, asked another way, what would you say to the traditionalist who is, uh, who is growing impatient with the fact that we don't seem to have any wins on the board? Um, you know, our, our, our pews are swelling, but our, um, our standing uh, is, not, is, is, is not swelling in like manner. Well, I am not sure that's even entirely true. Um, I, the pews are swelling. Absolutely, the tr- the pews of the of the those Latin mass parishes are swelling. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter, um, their they have their their uh, their seminary is considerably more full than most diocesan seminaries. Um, and I, one insider at a major archdiocesan um, seminary that I spoke to said, um, he said I th- I think at least a third of our young of our seminarians would like to celebrate the latin mass almost exclusively and this is one of the larger diocesan seminaries it's not like new jersey or wherever it is that has like two seminarians Mm -hmm. um it's it's a big one um 
you know, a lot of the a lot of bishops that you wouldn't expect are are open to uh, to having a couple of Latin Mass parishes in their diocese, which you know isn't it doesn't seem like much until you realize that it wasn't until two thousand and eight that Pope Benedict the Sixteenth made explicitly clear in Summorum Pontificum that any priest has the the canonical right to celebrate the Latin Mass whenever he wants, and there's a lot of work to be done on that front because a lot of priests are know that they will that they that there's nowhere to appeal that right to if they try if their bishop disciplines them for celebrating the Latin Mass. And this has happened in Texas. Mm-hmm. If they celebrate the Latin Mass, they can be they will be disciplined. They shouldn't be, but they will be. So there's there's uh, there's certainly a lot of a lot more work to do. And I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't deny that. But progress is being made. Um, as for who those holy bishops are, I mean again, I always look to Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Sarah. And uh, it, it, and it's worth noting that in all of the sort of the inside baseball Vatican watchers calculations, you know, two months ago, Cardinal Sarah was probably the top three guy to succeed Pope Francis. Um, it, he was after uh, Tagla and Parolin. And Parolin's out of the running now pretty much because Pope Francis took away the power of the purse from him. And is he's basically, you know, he's been uh, almost totally discredited because of his involvement in the Vatican bank fraud. So Cardinal <laughs> did, did Sarah— Did I see—did I actually see that he was going to ha- have a lawsuit or something? Because now I'll never yeah. be Pope, so I'm going to sue somebody. Is, is that a real pretty thing? Much. It is. And remember, this is the this is the scary thing. And to, and to your point, I meant to mention this earlier— um, I don't. I don't know if you followed this at all, but there was the uh, the, the police in the state of Victoria in Australia mm-hmm. uh, intercepted a two million dollar wire to one of the victims, quote unquote, victims of George Cardinal Pell, mm-hmm. and uh, this was almost definitely came from Parolin, who was the primary subject of uh, or Bet Parolin and or Betchu, um, who were the primary suspects in Cardinal Pell's investigation. Um, that many many people serious you know Vatican watchers believe was funnel, funneled through the mafia. Um, not only that, but the state of Victoria police in Australia have de- have declared that they're not going to investigate it for absolutely no reason at all. They've just announced that they're not going to follow up on the lead. So this is incredibly intense corruption that is between the Vatican and these uh, secular governments. And mm-hmm. if 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 uh, Archbishop Vigano was afraid of of the Vatican of, or of, at least of agents within the Vatican working through um, political operate, you know, political groups, uh, government bodies, organized crime, I certainly wouldn't blame him in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, so but just to say that uh, at the end of it, Cardinal Sarah, who is still the church's, um, you know, basically their liturgy, the liturgies are, um, and who is again one of these very discreet guys, but one of these guys who doesn't, he's not afraid to hide his opinions. Um, he's very high ranking in the church, so I, I think that this is where I, I guess I start to lose a lot of trads, and I get called Pollyannish and stuff. But um, I've, you know, I only see, you know, po- almost all positive signs for the future of the church. Maybe not in the next five years, um, but definitely in like the next fifty, one hundred years. You know, things are actually going our way, uh, and it's a lot of it is because of you know committed young families that are that are joining their Latin mass parishes or joining the church uh, and and building up these strong local communities, sending their children to the seminaries, you know, creating holy young priests. Um, a lot of it is to do with bishops who are, you know, now coming around and seeing that, you know, so much of the rot that's set into the church, it, you know, before Vatican II as well, but definitely during Vatican II, um, 
and a lot of the people, you know, even in the the sort of the deep church, it doesn't happen very often. But there are people that are realizing, you know, man, this is, you know, this isn't business as usual. There's, you know, deep down, you know, I still want what's best for the church, and I can't be complicit in this anymore. Um, I guess people like Archbishop Vigano. Um, so I that's that's the uh, I think that that anyone who's who, who's concerned about our standing in the church, you know, I think that we have good reason to be hopeful. Um, and if you and if you know if you if you're having a hard time finding that hope, um, then just you know it's what, what what Padre Pio said: pray, hope, and don't worry. Just you know the power. God wants us to use apostolic prayer. God wants us to pray for the good of the church, and He's going to funnel those graces through our prayer. Um, he's going to grant those prayers if we ask them, uh, and that's uh, that's that's Cardinal Sarah's rule book. Um, you know, if your if your priest isn't a saint, be one for him. If your bishop isn't a saint, be one for him. God will transform the hearts of our priests, our bishops, and the lay faithful um, if we witness Jesus Christ in the world and if we pray for it fervently. Well, I, I certainly will agree with you that it is incumbent upon all of us to become saints. And unfortunately, I, I do sort of share the view that many of the people in the chat right now are are um, uh, are letting us know about it's that it's this that notion that it really kind of is um us versus our our hierarchy because you know for for better or for worse i don't have a cardinal burke as my ordinary where i live okay. i doubt you do where you live um and so uh you know it, it may be it may be that he's doing incredibly good things around the world and in the church and 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 as i said doing things that you and i aren't even aware of planting the seeds of tradition that are going to blossom later on uh but in terms of what i do today tomorrow during lockdown 2.0 when when my bishop comes f- comes for my sacraments um it's kind of like I, I i do feel adversarial uh with with in that situation that's fair enough. I I mean, this is this is something that I I definitely struggle with, um, because maybe we should, maybe this would be a good topic for another podcast, um, because I I I don't want people to get the impression that I'm um, too optimistic about uh, about the bishops themselves, um, but I want I think that we have every right to be optimistic about the work that we're doing, um, not. Again, not uh, not the work that the that necessarily the bishops are doing, but about the influence that we're having in the church. Uh, and there's always more that can be done, of course. Um, but it's the the we, the traditionalists are really really great at the meat and potatoes of of ecclesiastical reform, which is showing up to mass when we're able, showing up to adoration, saying the rosary, having getting married young, having big kids, and flooding the pews with holy young cradle Catholics, um, mm. transforming the demographic of cradle Catholics. Um, that is the long-term success of the church. If nothing, if the, if the hierarchy remained, became 110% obstinate to the interests of the traditionalists, on the demographic basis alone, we'd still win. Um, so again, I, don't, I definitely don't want to seem excessively optimistic, but we have a right to be cautiously optimistic, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to I want to quote your third from last paragraph. Then I think that's a this is this dovetails perfectly into sort of wrapping it up and then asking the audience who's watching live right now. We've got over a hundred viewers. If you have questions for Michael Warren Davis, editor of Crisis Magazine, list those questions. I want to ask them. But before I get to that, I want to read. You say 
This may be our first real test as a mainstream force in American culture. Is traditionalist Catholicism a mature movement capable of scrutinizing its own leaders? Or is it a series of interlocking personality cults? If one of its champions falls, will he drag down all the others? I'm not sitting here predicting that Archbishop Vigano is going to fall. I know you're not predicting that he's going to fall either. But if he did, it would sure as heck reverberate. I go back to the V-Mania slide. It's going to take a lot of people down with him if, in fact, he does, because a lot of trailers are hitched to him. Mm. Well, I, I guess that, uh, that goes back to the question of you know, putting not your, your trust in princes. And, uh, and this is I, – I guess I'll circle back because this is something that has really impressed me since I, I became a traditionalist is, uh, is – or since I, be, I became – when I became a Catholic, I became – I, I entered the church in a Latin mass community and I've, I've stayed at a Latin mass community throughout my life as a Catholic. Um, but one of the things that really impressed me was, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of traditionalists, with for good reason, um, they do feel like they're on the margins of the church, uh, and to and to a large extent, those of us who love the Latin Mass and the traditions of the church, we are. That's there's no denying that that's partially true. But on the other hand. Um, you know how so many of our major cities in the United States, the largest parishes, are fraternity or diocesan Latin mass, or um, and the the hierarchy doesn't can't ignore that growth. Um, they you know it's, some part of them recognizes that this movement isn't just you know a, a, a fringe of, uh, of 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 mindless you know anti modernists. It's not it's not. It's it's a it is it really is a mainstream force and it it has power in the culture. I mean, Vanity Fair and the Atlantic and the New York Times write these articles about how scared they are because um, you know Donald Trump is tweeting about Archbishop Vigano or or Taylor Marshall and uh, and how these these traditionalist groups are growing all over the United States and around the world and they're getting influence with bishops and. Uh, and they they should be scared. I mean, not you know we're we're only here to help them. That's what we want. We want to bring them into the light of truth. But um, for the you know the, our enemy, the devil, who's afraid you know who's who's inspiring this fear in them, this fear of everything that's holy and and, and traditional, and um, you know that's uh, he has he he should be scared because this really is a period of extraordinary renaissance in the church. Um, you know the, the these these traditional devotions are flourishing. They're the um, the the Religious orders that are devoted to the the nuns that wear traditional habits, priests that you know, monks that celebrate the uh, the Latin Mass. um, Those orders are demographically their average member is twenty or thirty years younger, and they're there's you know they're growing at you know rates of two or three times a year, whereas those older orders are are dying. I mean, everywhere you look, traditionalists are sort of taking the lead, and. and and so we are a mainstream movement, and even the secular culture recognizes that the secular culture is afraid of us in a way that they're not afraid of, you know, evangelical Protestants, for instance, despite the fact that evangelicals are considerably larger than we are, mm-hmm. um, because we have the truth, you know, we're the uh, we're the most we're the oldest and most authentic uh, form of Christianity, and what they're afraid of is Christianity, mm-hmm. um, and that's. No I think that's that's worth bearing in mind that uh, our our enemies are afraid of us, and we give them a good reason to be afraid. No doubt. Now, listen. It's five o'clock your time. I know you had to stop at a certain point. I know that you were targeting five o'clock. Do you want to take a couple a couple questions, or do you want to wrap? 
Yeah, why don't we take a couple more questions? Okay. Uh, first question is from uh, Risafa. It says, Cardinal Burke warns of a movement afoot in the Vatican to retract Samorum Pontificum. What, do you, what will we do then? Um, well, I think the, the, the main point there is that I, Samorum Pontificum can't be retracted in its essence. Um, because what Samorum Pontificum said was not that priests may celebrate, may now celebrate the Latin Mass whenever mm-hmm. they like. Samorum Pontificum said priests have always been able to celebrate the Latin Never Mass. Never been abrogated. That's right. And this is, you know, this was in, this is an interesting point, and I'm going to go to the other extreme now. Um, this was Archbishop Lefebvre's main point was that we, you know, we are, you know, I am told now that I that my the mass that I celebrate, um, that I have celebrated for the first thirty years of my life as a priest is now invalid. How could this be? How could the mass suddenly become invalid? Now, the, the church never officially taught that it was, and of course can't because that would be an error. But there were absolutely, uh, you know, agents for, in the Vatican and in the, uh, the 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 Episcopal hierarchy telling people that the Latin Mass was invalid now, or that it was suppressed or abrogated. It wasn't true, and Pope Benedict, you know, uh, pointed out that fact that it, it it never has been invalid. It's not invalid. It's not abrogated, and it never has been, and it never can be. Um, so in that sense, you know, if if there was a movement for some for a pope or or a, a curial official to negate uh, Samorum Pontificum, which may very well happen, um, we I I the objective truth is that it's it can't be done. It simply can't be done. Uh, okay. One commenter says, uh, "Are you on the Fraternity of Saint Peter's payroll?" Which <laughs> no, I'm not. that's just where you go to mass, right? I mean, I get it, it. Yes, yes. No, I, I, I love the fraternity. Um, I, I was a member of a really wonderful diocesan Latin mass parish to where I was received into the church. Um, but uh, there's there's a fraternity parish um, just near my hometown uh, in, in up here in New Hampshire, and uh, and I love it. And I, the the priests are extraordinary. They're good. They're holy. They're discreet. Uh, you know, they 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 just tick every box. And uh, and the more I talk to people who go to fraternity parishes, Taylor Marshall is one of them. I think Michael Matt does too. Um, the more I talk to people who have been involved in the fraternity, the more you just you you not only love your priests and your parish, but you just grow to love the institution. So I have my fraternity bumper stickers and everything. And uh, I'm 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 you're a bumper sticker guy. See, I could I knew you were a bumper sticker guy. Oh, I have like seventeen. <laughs> if you go to the parish, you'll know my car because I have all the crazy bumper stickers. I have my Gun Owners of America sticker. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm like tatted up on my car. We're getting a lot of pushback from what you're what, from what you said about Samorum uh, not being able to be overturned because what the motu proprio uh, uh, elucidated is that the the per- perennial right to offer the traditional Latin Mass has never been abrogated. Mm-hmm. That's true. But in practice, Michael Warren Davis, editor of Crisis Magazine, um, in practice, couldn't, let's say, after Benedict dies and Francis is still Pope, couldn't he just undo it with a stroke of a pin? And wouldn't most of the bishops in the United States, especially, uh, and around the world, uh, be incentivized to just go ahead and suppress the Latin masses that are uh, in so in so many cases a thorn in their side. At least that's how they view it. Uh, yes, that's true. So what what the what the Vatican could do is it could theoretically negate um, some more pontificum. Uh, 
it, and it could begin doing what it did before, which is, you know, misinforming priests and bishops, telling them that they may no longer celebrate the Latin Mass, or they may not celebrate it without permission of the bishops. Um, that 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 could happen. Again, it would be wrong. I mean, in the objective sense that um, that you know everything that the church teaches has an objective truth, even if it's ignored by the world or even the hierarchy, it would not, it would be wrong. And there would be priests who continue to celebrate the Latin mass, for instance, would not be incurring sin because it's, it, it's just the way it is. Um, of course, we're getting into the weeds here. I guess theoretically an ecumenical council or, you know, something like Trent could be convened to, um, to reorganize the official, uh, liturgical life of the church. Uh, that, that that's it's feasible, and again, it, it it has happened in the past. Well, let's um, let's be less theoretical then. I I think the question yeah. is uh, really where you live. Let's say let's say you didn't mm-hmm. have the fraternity of Saint Peter, uh, you were going to an adult mass. Um, Samorum Pontificum was unjustly uh, repealed. Let's say, what do you do? What do you, Michael Warren Davis, do? Oh, geez, I've never thought about that. I. <laughs> I'm going to have to pass on that. I, I have to think about it. I don't want to <laughs> just fire up I, I, I was told by a, by a priest in a Catholic one time, he said, you know what? When when these situations are posed upon you, God will give you the grace to make the best decision that you can when that situation comes to you. But <laughs> Well, it's... I, I mean, we're we're living through a scenario like that right now. I mean, if you if you would ask someone two years ago, um, what would you do if your bishop ordered all of your masses to be closed? You, you what would you say? You would say mm-hmm. you'd probably think, you know, that 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 couldn't happen. What under what pretext could that ever possibly happen? And then right. it just does all of a sudden one day. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know if, if at the beginning of COVID or whatever is March or, um, you watched that that map that someone made about um, which which dioceses are still having mass, and the map in like three days it just went black. There were no more masses being mm-hmm. celebrated publicly, and I found masses and I went to masses. I have to admit, um, not private masses and things. I think like a that. lot of trads did find mass. Yeah, a lot of trads went to During the SSPX. The you know, that one thing a that I noted wound uh, the SSPX that I don't think they weren't really anticipated. I call, so I, I refer to that period as uh, as being Black Sunday, uh, and it was uh, March, uh, I think, 23rd of, of 2020. And liturgically, I don't know if you knew this, uh, that was 50 years to the day after the forced implementation of the Novus Ordo Mise. Oh, wow. 50 really? years to the day, forced implementation. <sighs> Gives you chills. Yeah. Weird. Black Sunday. So on the on the jubilee anniversary of the f- four, not the not the initial implementation, which was the which was the prior advent, nineteen sixty nine, but 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 in March of nineteen seventy is when the second announcement came out from Rome, and it said you will, and there are sanctions if you do not implement the Novus Ordo Mise on the jubilee year of that document to the day liturgically. Almighty God uh, canceled the Novus Ordo. Mass and and, and wow. probably the only underground masses that were available that you went to that I went to that many people are commenting that they went to were in Latin. That's wild. I didn't know that. Wow, jeez. <laughs> Crazy. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending oh, some yeah, time man. with us. Thank I know you so much. Uh, you're a busy man. Crisis Magazine, and now you write for the American Conservative. Where else can we find you? Uh, I do. Uh, well, obviously, crisis gets most of my work. Uh, I write for the American Conservative fairly frequently. I just reviewed a new biography of 
uh, Antonio de Oliveira Salazar for them. And readers will love <laughs> – this is a great – I don't know if I sent you this excerpt. The uh, it, Salazar, who was the sort of the, the dictator of Portugal during World War II, he uh, he was a he was a trad. And when after Vatican II, he banned Paul VI from Portugal. He wouldn't let him come to the country. He was so angry about Vatican II. <laughs> so uh, this like Catholic um, dictator who was uh, you know like the the custodian of Fatima refused to let the Pope come to the country because he didn't like the new mass. I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> um, so, uh, but check That's out bold. the review or check out the the. I mean, by the biography it's really really good uh and then i also write uh i'm starting now i guess uh i'm writing once a week for the american the spectator usa so the the american imprint not the not the american spectator but the american imprint of the spectator magazine from london okay so uh yeah well thanks again it's been a pleasure uh mike warren davis editor of crisis mag come back to restoring the faith soonest anytime god bless you thanks for watching